Hey, Vanessa. Hey, Michael. Do you remember when we first met? Yeah. Tell me about it. What do you remember? Well, I was supposed to be working for somebody that used to work for you Mm -hmm. in the insurance industry. And we were supposed to be making house calls. We house called you. I mean, that must have been an easy house call. Uh, You were home. Right. So we wasted about a half an hour of our time. Okay. What do you remember about me? You were wearing a striped shirt. That's it? And you were leaving to go somewhere. What about the conversations we had? We didn't have any conversations. I stood next to your counter while you and Josh talked the whole time. Wait a minute. In my mind, in my memory, I was like Rico Suave. Not even close. I said all the right things. Really? Yes. Really? In my mind, that's then the way I remember. Then how do you explain that I had no idea who you were when you bamboozled my phone number out of the other people in the office and randomly texted me as to why I hadn't called you? And then I said some very inappropriate things that are not allowed to be said on the radio. You were playing hard to get. No, I was super annoyed with you. Welcome to Fireproof Your Finances, a show with 30 minutes of real questions, real concepts, and real answers. Your hosts are Michael and Vanessa Markey, a husband and wife duel with a playful on-air dynamic and common sense approach toward teaching listeners how to take control of their finances. Michael is the numbers and strategies guy who is passionate about solving financial issues. The standard deviation. I mean, I talk about standard deviation as well, but they talk about the the beta, the alpha, the standard deviation of the particular uh, mutual fund allocation that we're looking at. Vanessa is the down-to-earth voice of reason, pulling his reins in. Okay, but your $5,000 couch isn't going to turn around and pay for something if you have a catastrophic event. This philosophy has led Michael and his firm, Legacy Financial Network, to receive national recognition from being named one of the 10 most innovative agencies in the country by AM Best, to being deemed a local celebrity from Insurance Newsnet Magazine and a hero to the insurance industry from Life Health Pro. He has even been given the Moving America Forward Award from William Shatner. And now, here are your hosts, Michael and Vanessa Markey. Welcome back, everyone, to Fireproof Your Finances. I am your host, Michael Markey. With me today, as she has been since the show's gone, I guess I can't really say it's gone viral. because it's No. <laughs> No. But since it's gone from one station to four. Hi, everyone. My wife. Hello. Soon to be friend. Soon to be friend. <laughs> Would we skip that process and just go to straight to arranged marriage? Hey, millennials. Today's show is about memories. Okay. Yours is clearly worse than mine is. Are memories always real? Not always. We're going to go over an article that I saw in the October newsletter of Mensa. Mm-hmm. We're going to play some videos from some psychotherapist doctor person. You make it sound so exciting. Really? Because to me, like all of this sounds fun. Well, you said you it in a way. Like, no, you said it in a way. We're going to li- we're going to watch some videos from some psychotherapist person thing. Well, there is a problem here that I do find things fun that apparently others. Judge. I'm not saying that it's not going to be fun. I'm just saying how it came out of your mouth was Got like. It. We're going to have a snooze fest this time, so I hope you guys are ready to take a nap. Why are you making me sound like Hot Wings from Pre-Beer and Hot Wings? Well, today, Because you're a nerd. All right. It's just as in trees this time. So, we started off, before the show started, about our first meeting. Mm-hmm. First time you met me. Yep. 
And literally in my mind. I think your dog tried to attack me too, which is now incidentally my dog, who's older than dirt now. She is old. We've got an English Mastiff who is 12. 12. Yeah. 12. Life expectancy of 5 to 8. Older than dirt. Mm-hmm. Apparently eating dog poop is healthy for them. <laughs> That's so gross. <laughs> anyway. So in my mind, though, I don't remember this the way you remember it. Clearly not. And an article that we tweeted earlier this week, mm-hmm. and it got quite a few different comments and reshares and likes and posts, and I don't know about all the words that I'm supposed to be using here. Where do you see these things? Because I go and look at it, and I don't see any of that. I click on the buttons. Alrighty then, people. He has learned Twitter. I've even learned analytics. It's 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 cool. It's math stuff, but stay on subject. He figured out the Twitter algorithm. We will go into that another time. So the title of this piece that we discussed on Twitter, which is at Fireproof Show. Not on, dot com. On Twitter. Dot. Mm-hmm. The real you is a myth. Yes. So the author here is talking about how a lot of times we identify who we are today about the, with the memories that we have. Mm-hmm. Read us a couple of snippets of this. It says, well, basically the, I guess, opening paragraph or whatever it says, we all want other people to quote unquote, get us and appreciate us for who we really are. In striving to achieve such relationships, we typically assume that there is a quote unquote, real me. I don't know why they put that in quotations. But anyway, it says, but how do we actually know who we are? It may seem simple. We are a product of our life experiences, which we can be easily assessed through our memories of the past. Let's jump down about a third of the way. So basically, this starts out with how, you know, like memories are created and goes into some technical details or whatever. So we won't bore you with all that. But um, let me pause you, because if you're just tuning in, you might be thinking, what does this have to do with finance? Right. I asked myself the same thing when Mike came up with this this evening. But when we talked about it, did it make sense? Yes. So go back to 2000. Mm-hmm. Go back to 2008. The years 2000, 2001, and 2002, as an example. Okay. Those, when the world was going to end? Right. Those years from just straight January to January were worse than 2008. Oh, really? See, I would not have thought that. No one does. Right. Because our memories change. So in 2000, as an example, and I'm looking at the S&P 500. Okay. In 2000, the S&P 500 lost 10.14%. Okay. 2001, it lost 13.04%. Mm-hmm. 2002, it lost 23.37. So it progressively got worse. Negative 10, negative 13, negative 23. 13 to 23 is a big jump. Right. Mm-hmm. Add all those up though, right? Just use simple math here. It's 43%. Right. 43 is worse than 38. Yes. So why do we talk about 08 as being the great recession? Why not 2000? Because I think when we go back to memories, we change things. We don't remember it being that bad then. Right. Because it's way back then. Right. And we think of 08 now. I think a lot of people don't even think, remember how fearful they were. Well, and... 08 tanked 38 in one year, whereas Mm -hmm. 43 was over a progressive period. And quite frankly, 08 was just about the bulk of those losses were within six months. Right. But the important thing here, I think the example that I gave you that seemed to make sense was that I get a lot of people who tell me they're averaging a 12% rate of return. Mm -hmm. It seems like everybody's making a 12% rate of return. Why is that the arbitrary number? 
Hmm. Honestly, why? Like, I don't understand it because that's not typically. There are periods of time where I could show you a stat that would get close to it. Okay. Um, Like Dave Ramsey uses it a lot. Right. But what Dave does is a simple average, meaning um, if you lose 50% and then you make 50%, right? A negative 50 plus a positive 50 is zero. Zero divided by zero is zero. Right. Hey, you're good. You're break even. But if I have 200 bucks and I lose half of it, I got 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. And when I make half, I got... 150. I'm still right. down 50 bucks. Right. But simple averaging says I broke even. So right. it's things like that. Bad math, I would say. Okay. So anyways, every, people say they make 12%. But this 12% number, so there's a rule of 72. Mm-hmm. Tell everybody what the rule of 72 means. It's basically take whatever you're making. Right. Divide it by 72. Mm-hmm. And that's how long it's going to take you to yeah. make it. Like so, how many years it's going to take you to actually make that amount. To double it. Right, double it, whatever. Yeah. So if you're making 12% as an example mm-hmm. and divide that into 72, so that's six. So every six years, your money's doubling. Okay. So let's say I meet somebody today with 400,000 and I ask them, well, what kind of rate of return are you getting? They go, I, you know, it's always at least 12. I'm always at 12. That's my average. Right. So that means 12, you know, if I double it, right? So how do I get to 400? Well, six years ago, you'd have had 200. Right. Six years before that, you would have had 100. 100. Yep. So in 2006, Mr. Client, you had $100,000. No. Well, that's not right. That's what you're telling me. Right. So this is where our memories are malleable and why it's important to understand the bias that you might have. Right. So it's about time for us to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll read the rest of this article. We'll pop up. We'll play some of these videos from the psychotherapist doctor. Mm-hmm. And before we go, I want to remind everyone, because we've got workshops coming up. Now, they come up each month, and so I think people sometimes think, well, I'll just wait till next month. They fill up, though. Mm-hmm. And the last, the, the thing we hate more than anything else is for you to call in and go, well, we can't get you in for another, you know, four weeks or eight weeks. Right. So call in. Go to one of our workshops. We're going to teach you about these things. We're going to teach you about psychological bias, about behavioral finance, about social security, taxes, how to get more from social security, how to get more from disability benefits, even how to pay less into social security. And a lot of times get almost the same benefit. It's pretty cool. Nice. But we have to focus on those things. We don't believe in just focusing on rate of return because I think it's a small piece of the picture. Right. Behavioral finance tells us over 80% of the outcome of your retirement will have more to do with your, it will have something to do with your behaviors, not the stock market. Absolutely. So go to one of our workshops at any, well, not at any, at the different libraries we're hosting. You can find those online at www.legacyfinancialnetwork.com. Go under the events tab. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also go to LFN, as in Legacy Financial Network, lfnworkshops.com. Find us on Twitter, at Fireproof Show, or call. Our office staff would be more than happy to sign you up. It's 616-589-4004. 616-589-4004. Let our staff help you get signed up for one of these workshops. Let's take a quick break. When looking for a financial professional, you should find one that takes the time to listen and understand your financial goals for your future. At LFN Advisors and Legacy Financial Network, we focus on three principles, short-term income, long-term income, and growth. We take a holistic approach to your retirement planning and know that without one of these things, your whole plan can fall apart. 
Your financial security and the quality of your retirement depends on the decisions, investment strategies, and asset structuring that you and your professional create. Contact us today at 855-LF-NETWORK or via LegacyFinancialNetwork.com to create a retirement plan that reflects your desires and goals. If your current financial professional is only focused on growth, then you may need a second opinion. Call us at 855-LF-NETWORK or LegacyFinancialNetwork.com to set up a complimentary consultation. Welcome back, everybody, to segment two of Fireproof Your Finances. Uh, before the break, Michael cut me off because I was going to read a nice article to you all about memories, and then he went into a tirade. No, I wanted to tell people what this had right. to do with finance. You cut me off. But anyway, we pulled up an article about... Politely um, interrupted. Yes. Your idea of polite and some other people's idea of polite are two totally different things. But we started going through an article about basically like your memories aren't what they seem. Aren't what essentially. you necessarily remember. Right. And aren't what you necessarily remember. So it goes into some, you know, technical things about memories. So I'm going to drop down a little bit so we can get into the meat of it. Um, but it starts out with research so shows that we don't actually access and use all available memories when creating personal narratives. It says when we create personal narratives, we rely on a psychological screening mechanism dubbed the monitoring system, which labels certain mental concepts as memories but not others. Concepts that are rather vivid and rich in detail and emotion, episodes we can re-experience, are more likely to be marked as memories. Another, so, okay, go ahead. go ahead. Sorry. In other words, if it's more impactful, you're crying, right. you're more likely for it to stick. Right. And I don't think that surprises anybody, but it was what we read after that that surprised me. Which is, um, we're scrolling down a little bit, and there's a section that's labeled false memories. Um, so it says that basically remembering is not like playing a video, you know, from the past in your mind It is a highly reconstructive process that depends on knowledge, self image. So basically how you see yourself mm -hmm. and then needs and goals it says indeed brain imaging studies have shown that personal memory does not have just one location in the brain. It is based on autobiographical. That's a big word. Memory brain network, which compromises many separate areas and important there is self-image isn't just the self-image you had at that moment. Right. It's the self-image maybe that you have now because memories, as the author says, memories are therefore very malleable. They can be distorted and changed easily as many studies in our lab have shown. For example, we have found that suggestions and imagination can create memories that are very detailed and emotional while still completely false. Right. Hence that 12% rate of return. Right. Like the math doesn't show it. I remember a couple that came in. This was a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. The husband was dead set that they had about a six or seven, eight percent. I don't remember now. Rate of return over the last 30 years. And okay. they had a couple million. Okay. So, you know, we did that math backwards using the rule of 72. And I said, well, this is what you would have had when you started. And he goes, no, no. You know, we had more than that. And I go, well, then you don't have the rate of return that you think you've had. Right. Now, they kept great records. So I, I asked him, I said, hey, for our next appointment, like how? How have you been tracking everything? He was one of the unusual people who have been tracking everything in a journal with the like graphing paper, the grid oh, paper. Oh, really? Everything. Very old school. Yeah, since the 1980s. So he's got files and files. So he brings in about five of these journals. I mean, that's kind of cool, though. Oh, it was very cool. So we go back and we go back and we go back and we go back and we're watching these trends. You know, when we saw the original amount mm -hmm. 
And then we looked at what was there now. Mm -hmm. And then we went through, I asked him, hey, have you ever taken anything out? He goes, no. And I'm looking through these journals, looking for any type of withdrawals. I can't find any. And he's dead set. No, we've never taken it out. But I want to be careful because memories can lie to us. Right. They hadn't. I couldn't find any evidence of it. His actual rate of return, he thought he was an astute. Now, this is going to sound like I'm being critical of him. I'm not. It's just an interesting example. He thought he was an astute investor, Mm -hmm. that he had outsmarted the market, that he had been one of the best. And, you know, he was the Warren Buffett of West Michigan. Okay. He had about a 2% compounded rate of return. I'm too blunt. No. They did not become clients. I'm not surprised. Not if you told him you only had 2%. I think it was the comment that I said this during a period from 1980 to 2000, you could have gotten a CD making 8%. That's the kicker. I don't mean that negatively. You basically, basically, without telling him so, you told him he was a moron. No, he could I have gotten didn't. a CD. I was trying to put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. In my memory, I was very nice. Right. Now, this Just like in look. your memory, you were Wait Rico Suave. Okay, let's throw the flag on this play. Because I know I'm not politically correct. I'm not going to say something to offend somebody, though. I know. You didn't. All right, let's play a video. This is a video about fault. It's titled "False Memories: How Our Memory Deceives Us." Who we are and where we came from. It's not hard to see why people cherish their memories deeply, but how reliable actually are our memories? How much of what you remember is real, and how much is an illusion? Many people believe that memory works like a recording device. You play it back to recall exactly what happened, and yet decades of research have shown that our recollections of the past are highly complex, easily influenced, and full of errors. I love that. Highly influenced, very complex, and full of errors. Right. And I wish I could talk like this guy. Right. Well, and before you continue with this... going to ignore that? I am going to ignore that. But before you continue this, go back to that article because they had a very specific example about a false memory that I found interesting. Um, Jean... Jean P. I don't know how to say his last name. It's very French. Uh, Famous developmental psychologist. Let's call him JP. JP. Jean Piguet. um, Is a developmental psychologist. He remembered all his life in vivid detail an event in which he was abducted with his nanny. She often told him about it. Like Mm -hmm. he talked to his nanny about this. And then after many years, she confessed to having made the story up. And at that point, JP... Stopped believing in the memory, but it nevertheless remained as vivid as it was before. So it didn't actually happen. Right. But due to conversations with this woman, he had very vivid memories of being abducted. Mm -hmm. And it never happened. Now, in this, going back to the video? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. I just found it interesting to point it out. I agree. Going back to the video, they're going to tell us a story about Stephen... Titus or Steve Titus. Mm-hmm. Let's go back. Our recollection of the past can affect not only our future decisions and opinions, but also more significant outcomes, such as court verdicts, when influenced by inaccurate eyewitness testimonies. Eyewitness testimony is often a powerful determinant of whether an accused person will be convicted by the jury. The effect is particularly strong if bystanders appear highly confident of their testimony. This is true even if they offer apparently conflicting responses. So let's pause there. Have you ever been, not just like, more of a rhetorical question to our audience, but have you ever been influenced about the performance of investments because of how confident, confident somebody was about it? I mean, that makes sense. Right. I think we all have. I remember 
I was probably about, well, I was probably about 16 years old and I was the caboose in the family. So my siblings were quite a bit older mm -hmm. and my brother had a friend who was a stockbroker, which, you know, isn't what we do. We do advice. We're an investment advisor. Stockbroker meant he just, he sells you not necessarily stock, but he's just a transactional person. Right. And I remember him using that 12% number. He says, well, I doubled my client's money every six years. And even at that time, I started doing the math thinking, okay, I got like a hundred bucks from last year's Christmas. I could have 200 bucks in six years and then it'd be four. And by the time, you know, I just started adding it up, not even thinking about, right. I think I even thought, well, if I did that every year and I remember going to my parents with that and I'm going, it's not guaranteed. That guy though made it so, he was so confident right? that I, I thought at that age that it was a no brainer. So go back to the video and let's, See what happened in this case of Steve. All right. One of the most famous legal cases regarding this issue is the tragic story of Steve Titus. Back in 1980, the 31-year-old man had been out for dinner with his fiance when the police pulled him over and arrested him because he sort of matched the physical description of and drove a similar car to a man who had raped a woman in the area. All right, so pause here. This isn't making a murderer. We're not saying police are bad. Right. It's just an example of false memory. Looking at the photo lineup, the victim told the police that Titus looked the closest to the man who had raped her. But by the time the trial began, the victim had become absolutely certain that Titus was the attacker, so the man was convicted and taken away to jail. Titus was eventually found innocent after a journalist struck down the real rapist, but he lost faith in the justice system, lost his job and fiancé, and became obsessed with what had happened to him. He died of a stress-related heart attack at the age of 35. The important question here is, how did the victim go from that's the closest to I'm absolutely positive that's the guy? I think that's a great question. Mm -hmm. How does your memory change like that? Right. How does it go from that's the closest guy that looks like him to absolutely that was him 100%? How do we go from me remembering that I was the best version of me when we first met right. to you remembering like the worst version? Wouldn't say it was the worst. You just didn't say much to me. So the point is, though, can you trust your memories? I don't know. You know, you asked me earlier, is now a time for somebody to get out of the market? If if we've had a bull market now for 10 years. Right. And it's the longest bull market in U.S. stock market history. Is now the time to get out? No. Well... If you're going to get out and stay out, yes. But if you're going to get out and try to get back in, no, you're not going to be able to get in, get out, get in, get out, and do it right and time it right. Nobody can guess that. No, not accurately. So we can't prevent loss if you're going to be in the market. We can prevent, though, the consequence of loss. Now, the consequence of loss is selling something when it's down. So what causes us to sell things when, when, it, when we just lost? Why would we sell something and get hurt by the loss when something just lost 20 or 30, 40%? Because you're disheartened. You're already upset that it lost that much right. and you don't want it to lose anymore. Exactly. So in finance, we act like everyone is just an economist and that they can just punch numbers on a calculator and they won't have emotions. Right. But that's not how people work. No. People have feelings. They've got emotions. They've got memories they have panic attacks when they lose 40 percent and these memories will mislead them sometimes right 
So let's go back to the doctor. Many people believe that, that memory works like a recording device. You just record the information, then you call it up and play it back when you want to answer questions or identify images. But decades of work in psychology has shown that this just isn't true. Our memories are constructive. They're reconstructive. Memory works a little bit more like a Wikipedia page. You can go in there and change it, but so can other people. What she's referring to there is the fact that we can put things into somebody's mind. Right. Like the story that I brought up about the nanny. Right. And JP. Or the way we ask you something. Now, they call this framing. Right. So, in behavioral finance, I've seen a study that they cited, and it talked about, um, I think it was both with married couples and people dating. Mm -hmm. And it asked, it didn't matter whether it was male or female, and it asked them questions in a sp specific sequence. And they found when they asked you in a specific sequence that people answered differently. Okay. So as an example, if they asked you, are you happy? So you're, you know, Mr. Person I'm interviewing or Mrs. Are you happy right now? That was question number one. Right. Question number two was, are you having one-on-one -on -one time, we'll say, with your spouse. Now, when they asked the, are you having one-on-one -on -one time, they used a different verbiage for that. Right. With your spouse, when they asked that second, people were more likely to say they were happy. Right. If they asked first, are you having one-on-one -on -one time with your spouse? And then, are you happy second? People were much less likely to say they were happy. Hmm. Now, that makes no sense. Because it's the exact same two questions. Exact same two. Now... Another example that we don't have time in, but one of her studies was she asked different people. They would show pictures of a car accident mm -hmm. and they would say that this car hit this car. Okay. And then in another example, they would say this car smashed this car. Okay. Now, it's the same picture. This experiment was done hundreds, if not thousands of times. Right. The averages should come out the same. Right. Which, if I told you right now that it didn't, that one word created people who heard that word, who looked at the same picture to say that the cars were traveling faster. So, as an example, when they said hit or smashed. Then they followed that up with how fast was, were the cars going. Which word do you think caused people to think the cars were traveling faster? Smash. Exactly. It's more aggressive. Yet. We would say a picture is worth a thousand words. Right. But the verbiage that goes behind it is worth a thousand more. It influences you. Right. So when we talk to, you know, here's the thing that always cracks me up. And I warn people about this. I teach people about this all the time. You know, if I bring up a particular maybe investment with somebody, mm -hmm. what do you think if, if I'm talking about this and, you know, in why they should do it? What do you think a lot of people want to know from me? They go, they want to, they, they ask they don't anymore because I warned them about it. But a lot of people want to ask a specific question. How much do I get back? What's my rate of return? Yeah. How has it done? Right. Can you imagine? Now, here, and then what answer do they want to hear? Lots and lots. It's done well. Right. How about, what if I said, well, over the last 10 years, it's, it's, it's been pretty bad, but it's due. People would say what? Yeah, don't sign me up for that one. We'll, we'll wait a bit, right? Yeah. Or how about this? 
It's been great. It's up 500% in the last three years. Sign me up. Get me on that wagon. So you may be thinking right now, like, well, I wouldn't fall for that. But understand, it's easy when you're in this relationship right now. You're hearing it from an outside perspective. Mm -hmm. It's a lot harder when you're right there. That's like when we all said that, and you can fill in the blank. When I have children, I won't do fill in the blank. You'll do it, and you'll do it thousands of times. But the point was, fill in the blank. I would never do fill in the blank. And maybe you haven't done that, but you've done something else. Right. That somebody else looking in would go, ha, I'll never do that. Mm -hmm. So the point is, be careful just saying, well, I wouldn't fall for that. Because first of all, the person you think you are today is a reflection of the memories that you have. The self-image you've created from this collage of memories that may not be as accurate as you think. Right. If you're a guy and you think like I did, that when you first wooed your spouse that you were Rico Suave, your memories might not be as accurate as you think. They're most likely not. And we want to thank you for joining us today. It's been fun. And this has been another episode of Fireproof Your Finances. We are your hosts. God bless. This has been Fireproof Your Finances. For more information, contact Michael J. Markey Jr. of Legacy Financial Network. Call toll-free at 855-LF-NETWORK or online at LegacyFinancialNetwork.com. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. Mike Markey and Legacy Financial Network are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any government agency.